Welcome to the August 2010 edition of Injury Prevention. In these podcasts, we highlight work that's published in the journal Injury Prevention. I'm Brian Johnston, Editor-in-Chief. Injury Prevention is an international peer-reviewed journal offering the best in science policy and public health practice to reduce the burden of injury. The papers that are featured in our podcast are the editor's choice. These are always available free online, so if you like what you hear, have a look at the website and download the entire manuscript. You'll find us at injuryprevention.bmj.com. Today we're focusing on the paper, Firearms Regulation and Declining Rates of Male Suicide in Quebec, which appears in the August 2010 edition. I'm joined by Mathieu Gagné, the lead author of the study, and an investigator at the Institut National de Santé Publique in Quebec, where he joins us on the phone. Hello, Mathieu. Hello, Dr. Johnston. So, Mathieu, could you start perhaps by briefly summarizing your research question? What was this study about? Uh, yes, in 1991, the federal government of Canada adopted uh, a more restrictive firearm legislation called Bill C-17 to control the availability and the accessibility of firearms. So my co-workers and I examined if this uh, strengthened firearms legislation has had any impact on firearm suicide rates among males in the province of Quebec. We also examined whether this impact was apparent in overall suicide rates and if displacement occurred uh, toward other methods. Finally, we tried to illustrate the impact of some methodological choices on our results. I see. Can you tell me a little more about the change in the law that you evaluated? What did this Bill C-17 stipulate? First, the screening requirements were reinforced. A mandatory training course, a detailed questionnaire, some reference, and also a 28-day waiting period were added to obtain a firearm acquisition certificate. At the same time, the minimum age for licensing a firearm was raised from 16 to 18. The second point, which is the most important in my point of view, gun owners were required by regulations to safely store their firearm in order to make firearm less accessible to household members who may present a risk to themselves or to others. Safe storage was defined as storing a firearm locked and unloaded with ammunition locked separately. I see. And I I think this topic, the impact of Bill C-17, has been studied in the past. Why did you want to repeat the analysis? Yes, indeed. This, uh, this topic has been already studied in Canada and in the province of Quebec as well. In Quebec, a previous study has suggested that this legislation didn't play a significant role in decreasing firearm suicide. However, in my opinion, that uh, previous study was based on a too short period and uh, the fact that regulations were implemented gradually wasn't taken into account. For these reasons, we re-examined the, the data. I see. So one of your arguments is the effect of the laws were unlikely to be immediately observed after passage. So why do you think that is? What is the period of lag in effect that you might expect? In fact, the legislation was enacted in 1991, but the regulations were phased in from 1992 to 1994. To give an example, regulations on safe storage was, were effective in 1993 only. Since regulations were implemented gradually, we believe we should not expect an immediate change in trend right after the enactment of the law. So we, we moved the expected time effect 
of the law from 1992 to 1995 to more accurately reflect the, the impact of the law, which is, in my opinion, when the legislation has had been well established. In the same way, we, uh, we assume there is a delay between implementation of a law and the public compliance. A survey conducted in 1994 in Quebec suggested moderate public compliance levels with new requirements for safe storage, while 35% of the survey participants had failed to comply with the regulations at this time. Uh, so we believe these facts will delay detection of the effect, but we didn't know the length of that lag before the, the study was done. I see. So actually that that's leads to questions about methodology. In the, in the paper, you analyze suicide rates uh, using a typical Poisson regression and then also a joint point regression. As I understand it, the joint point regression detects inflection points or changes in slope that ref reflect a point in time where the rate of change in suicide appears to shift. What did you see as the advantage of this method compared to the Poisson regression? Uh, the, the Poisson regression with a pre-post implementation design approach uh, requires to, to know the specific point in time when intervention occurred. But we believe that in our case, the, the impact of the Bill C-17, this specific point in time was unknown or at least uh, subject to confusion, confusion between the enactment of the law and the implementation of the regulations. So the main advantage of the John Point uh, method is that it can model changes over time and pinpoint the specific moment when the change occurs. So you don't have to specify that moment in time in your model. The John Point regression tests uh, whether a multi-segmented line fits the data better than a straight line. Another advantage of the John Point regression is that it can theoretically detect a discontinuous effect, that is, an effect which is not persisting for a, per a significant period. In this case, John Point should identify another inflection in the slope, a return to the pre-legislation trend after a period of momentary effect. The same is true for delayed effect. This type of, of effect could be missed in, uh, with the poison regression with a pre-post uh, design approach. Considering this, we use uh, John Point regression to analyze change in method-specific suicide rates and to examine whether those changes were consistent with the regulation associated with Bill C-17. So then, as I understand it, uh, when you carried out the joint point regression, it suggested a specific inflection point later than the enactment of the law that uh, might reflect a delayed effect of the regulatory changes. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. The downward trend in firearm suicide rates has accelerated several years after the enactment of the law in 1991. The overall firearm suicide rates decreased annually about 2% between 1981 and uh, 1997, and then declined uh, much faster, nearly 7% annually, until the end of the study period. This acceleration of the downward trend was greater in young men compared with middle-aged men, uh, whereas no change was found for the elderly. We have interpreted those changes as reflecting a lag impact of the new firearms regulations. And although firearm suicide appeared to decline after passage of the regulations, as you describe, especially among young men, there were also clear joint point reflections 
with decreased rates of hanging and of total suicide in the late 1990s. Do you have any idea why that might have occurred? <clears throat> You're right. The downward trend was also observed in other methods of suicide in the late 90s, in particular hanging, but also gas poisoning. For both, the declines were, were more substantial among young men. Uh, so we suppose other factors probably contribute to the downward trend in suicide by those methods as well as firearm suicide. In respect to hanging, the decline followed the, the launch of a national suicide prevention strategy in Quebec, which mostly focused on younger men and probably has had an impact on suicide trends. I need to mention that the downward trend acceleration in firearm suicide rates has, had started prior the launch of the National Suicide Prevention Strategy in Quebec. For gas poisoning suicide, uh, the mandatory use of catalytic converter in motor vehicles has reduced the toxicity of car exhaust and could be viewed as a possible explanation for the reduction of this particular method. At the same time, Unemployment rates uh, reduced after economic recession in the early 90s and probably impact suicide trends since unemployment could lead to financial problems, anxiety or, or depression, which are factors that contribute to suicide risk. Meanwhile, the, the treatment of psychiatric condition, mainly depression, has been improved during this period and may also have contributed to the decline. So, well, as you can tell, I, I find the joint point regression methodology quite intriguing for time series analysis. Are you aware of any other applications of this method to injury research? Uh, the joint point analysis has been used to detect changes in method-specific suicide trends in Scotland, uh, Lithuania, and Italy and also has been used to assess the impact of the economic crisis on suicide rates in Southeast Asian countries in the late uh, 90s. Uh, last year, in the Journal of American Medical Association, John Point regression has been used to examine trends in hip fracture rates in Canada. All right. Are there any weaknesses or potential pitfalls in the use of this joint point technique? Uh, with John Point, we describe trends at the at a basic level, but we didn't take into account the contribution of well-known risk factors for suicide, such as unemployment or prescription of antidepression or, or divorce. Those risk factors or confounding factors couldn't be included in a more complex model due to John Point regression limits. In addition, as far as I know, John Point regression can only perform separate analysis, so models with interaction term can be used with John Point. If listeners were interested in this method, where could they look to get more information? John Point is a statistical software for the analysis of trends produced by the Statistical Research and Application Branch of the U.S. National Cancer Institute. Uh, listeners who, who want to learn more about this method can go on the U.S. National Center Cancer Institute website. That's terrific. And for those of our listeners who are actually more interested in public health practice than in methodologic details, what do you conclude from your analysis about suicide prevention policies? Uh, considering our results, it's uh, reasonable to conclude that the decline in the firearm suicide rates in Quebec might be attributable to the introduction of a restrictive firearms regulations. 
In fact, the downward trend among men has significantly accelerated several years after Bill C-17 was enacted, uh, once the legislation has, had been well established. Uh, Bill C-17 may also have contributed to the downward trend in overall suicide rates. These effects seem particularly, particularly noticeable among young men. In my opinion, reducing access to lethal and common methods of suicide, like firearms, must be an important component of suicide prevention strategy. Now, how do your findings then relate to the total body of published evidence regarding firearm regulation and suicide? Is this consistent with what other investigators have found? Uh, the, the effectiveness of restricting access to lethal methods has been well demonstrated to prevent suicide, and evidence suggests that restricting access to firearms reduces the rate of suicide by that method and sometimes can reduce the overall suicide rate, uh, notably when the firearms are commonly used. Unloading and locking gun and ammunition in separate place is associated with a significant decrease in firearm suicide in homes among teenagers. Uh, our results also suggest that the decline was marked among young men, probably because suicides among this group are probably more impulsive and occur during a short-term crisis. Access to firearms might be the, the factor that facilitates the translation of suicidal thoughts into action. Uh, since firearms are one of the most lethal methods, it might influence whether the outcome is fatal or not. Some authors have raised the question of substitution or displacement towards other methods. In our case, firearms restriction has impacted firearm suicide rates and reduced the overall suicide rates, but haven't resulted in a displacement towards other methods. That's terrific, and I um, certainly enjoyed reading this paper. Tell us, though, what are you working on next? Uh, my current project involves uh, slightly different topics. I'm currently working on a traumatic brain injury surveillance project and another on hip fracture, and uh, I also work on agricultural injuries. Well, that's great. That, that was Matthew Gagné discussing work that was conducted in Canada and reported in the August 2010 issue of Injury Prevention. His paper, entitled Firearms Regulation and Declining Rates of Male Suicide in Quebec, is this month's editor's choice. It's freely available at the journal's website online. And that's all for this edition of our podcast. I'm Brian Johnston, Editor-in-Chief of Injury Prevention. Join us later in the year for highlights of the October issue.